0: Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I am Joe Stark and tonight I am talking with Jacob Harmon. How are you doing, Jacob? I'm doing very well. How are you doing,
1: Joe? Ah, it's,
0: it's great to talk to you.
1: Likewise, <laughs> man. This has been a, a while in the work, so it's nice to see it finally come together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Okay, so right off the bat, I gotta ask you quick, because you started doing a podcast where you guys are, are playing like Dungeons & Dragons, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Oh, Okay, so you've got to tell me about that, because that's that's one of those things that I've always been interested in, but I've never done it before.
1: Oh, man, (laughs) D&D is like, oh, it's so much fun. (laughs) And uh, I mean, this group that I'm playing with, we've been having our game nights at the homestead for, I'd say, two, two and a half years, maybe.
0: Oh, wow. And
1: yeah. And when it started off, we were alternating, like, one week we'd do D&D, the next week we'd do Rock Band, then we do some sort of board game. And uh, for the past, I'd say, probably year and a half, it's mostly just been D&D. And it's been a ton of fun, because there are people that... Like, some of my friends I knew had played D&D, but I never played with them. And it's great to finally get together... And see how everyone's different play styles and characters all interact, it's so much fun,
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so last week i had to I had the opportunity to take my lunch in a town that I'm rarely ever in, and so I checked out the comic shop they had there, yeah, and, and they had all these tables set up in there where they do lots of gaming and uh is is i mean is that something that people would do in a place like that, or do you think that was mostly like magic the gathering type stuff or
1: so a lot of those game shops will have one night a week where they do what's called D and D encounters and you'll show up and the, you'll have pre-made character sheets that the shop usually provides. And you can actually buy the stuff for the D and D encounters from wizards of the coast. And actually the, the campaign that I'm playing now is a short encounter campaign. So that's what, what we're using and it's pretty fun. Um, We made our own characters for this, but if you were going to a game shop, you'll get a pre-made character. Uh, They'll probably have dice that you can use, or you can bring your own dice. And you just go through a level-appropriate adventure, and it's usually pretty short and sweet, something you can do in one or two sessions. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a great thing if you're kind of looking into getting into it uh, before you drop the you know, 30 bucks on a player's handbook, and then (laughs) <laughs> you know, a set of dice, and then you're going to want another set of dice for a different character. And it, it can get a, a little expensive, but it's it's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that just the way hobbies are designed, though? <laughs> oh,
1: there's no <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, a lot of the people play with, you know, these super detailed maps and miniatures. And I've got some friends who are big into, like, painting the miniatures. And okay, it's yeah. A, it's really cool to see them do that and to see the end result. But I'm like, man, I, I don't have time for that kind of investment. Like,
0: <laughs> cause it oh, is, yeah. that, it's a big undertaking. <laughs> how long does your, uh, do your games, um, like last on average? Uh, we try to keep it at around two hours. Okay. And so yeah. like, how
1: does it, like, how does it work? So you're going to have the one person who's the dungeon master. And they're really the storyteller, kind of the, the person who guides everyone through the adventure. And then you have your, your player characters, your party. And this one happened to turn out pretty good in, in the campaign we're doing now. Uh, because we had no idea what anybody else was making. So it couldn't be like, okay, I'm going to be the fighter, we need a healer, so this person can be the healer. And this person can be the tank. Uh, it was just, whatever happened, happened. And it, it happened to work out pretty well. Uh it was pretty funny that my friend Caitlin and I made almost the identical character. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but having two Rangers on a team is never a bad thing. So it's all good in the end. <laughs> so what's your character? Uh, I'm playing a character named Brielle Fife. She is a half, uh, yeah, not a halfling, a half elf Ranger. And her whole backstory is that her father was a human who had this really cool sword. And her her mother was an elf, and she has a a sister. And her father was known for, like, really killing all sorts of demons and abysmal creatures, all sorts of bad stuff. Uh, And when her father died, she was supposed to inherit the sword. But her sister turned into a vampire after her father's death and stole the sword. And her goal is to find her sister and either kill her sister or turn her back into a human and then take her sword back that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy it's actually um because you had ty purvis on not too long ago mm-hmm. and uh there's a band he and i both really like called the sword and their first album is called winter wolves and there's a song on there that inspired my entire character
0: <laughs> oh awesome
1: <laughs> yeah and like i was listening to that album when i was rolling the character up and like you can listen to all sorts of stuff when you're playing D&D but like real good fantasy metal is definitely the way to go in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I really love early Dio stuff. Oh like, man.
0: Like Holy Diver is like a yes. must have album. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> and that's uh Heaven and Hell album he did with Black Sabbath was my first intro to him. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Such man. Dude, years and years ago, I was in a um uh a record store in Cedar Rapids and they had tapes there for like 50 cents and they had one of Black Sabbath and so on one side of the tape it was uh, the Paranoid album and on the flip side was Heaven and Hell dude and so, that's one hell of a <laughs> tape right there man I know right <laughs> <laughs> and so when i was younger like i really really listened to Paranoid like over and over and over and like I'd listen to Heaven and Hell like once in a while, but at the time I was just really obsessed with you know, Black Sabbath with Ozzy. But then oh, yeah. when, I, when I got older and I started driving a truck for work that had a tape deck in it, I went through a box that had all my old tapes in it and I found that. And then rather than rewind, I just let it play all the way through and like kinda rediscovered that Heaven and Hell album and just fell in love with it. I mean Dio's
1: voice is just so iconic. I, I mean, and don't get me wrong, like Ozzy's great, and Ozzy did a lot for the genre. But I definitely I'll take Dio over Ozzy any day.
0: <laughs> Dio's just so fucking awesome. I mean, he was he like, was the such first a guy that came up too. with like you know like the metal symbol with your hand. Have he was, you heard the story about that? Yeah, wasn't it that like his grandma like would, that was like her like giving the evil eye or something like that? That was, was what I had heard.
1: Yeah, she would do that to like ward away evil
0: spirits. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, dude! Uh, Children of the Sea—that song is so freaking excellent. And, I mean, you um, can't go wrong with Dio. Like, <laughs> he's uh, he, like at least on every one of his albums, there's usually one, maybe two. Like, look out! <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> fucking awesome, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, dude, I love Dio. Um, I I think the guys in the warehouse I worked with that summer liked him considerably less because I played Heaven and Hell just (laughs) over and over and over. (laughs) Uh, See,
1: when I was, I think I was like five or six when my brother moved out. And I was going through some of the stuff he had left behind. And there were two boxes of tapes. And one was just like old punk music and one was metal. Nice. And, uh. I don't remember what Dio album was in there. It was probably Holy Diver. And there was a lot of Maiden in there, too. And man, like, that shaped <laughs> me as a kid.
0: <laughs> I haven't listened to near as much Iron Maiden as I would have liked to have. That's what oh, I really ought to put on my list. In high
1: school, my nickname was Trooper. Uh, because in gym class, I would wear an Iron Maiden Trooper shirt. <laughs> and, oh, and. I was, I was, you were the most metal kid band. in class. <laughs> oh, man. Like, ugh. I think my sophomore year, like, my picture, I, like, had dyed my hair black. And I, I swear for the entire year, I wore like a different metal shirt with like a sleeveless flannel over it. Cause that was cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, dude, you have an epic beard too. Like, how early did you start growing that? <laughs> I think the first time I really let it grow out, I was, like, 20, 21. Oh, okay. I was picturing um, you in high school with it, with your metal <laughs> shirt. <laughs> I wish, man. He's it's like, funny, because okay. there was a kid in high school who had, like, a full-on beard. And, like, he wild. stood out amongst all the,
0: you know, <laughs> <the> hairless face teenagers. <laughs> yeah, for real, right? I had a pretty decent goatee, and, and that was about all I could grow until, like, yeah, I got into, like, my early 20s, but yeah i don't know i need to have a beard <laughs>
1: it's, oh, i love it it's like uh i kept it short for probably like a probably i'd say like the past like year and a half or so and my buddy's getting married next month and he's like please please grow it out please so <laughs> i won't disappoint and I, I forgot how much i loved having it <laughs>
0: there you go that's a good friend <laughs>
1: yeah And my old man, I don't think he's shaved since he got out of the service in 74, so he's been rocking like a a ZZ Top beard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've taken mine pretty short with clippers, but I don't think I've actually taken a razor to my face in well over a decade.
1: The last time I took a razor to my face was, I think, in October. I I was trying to get cleaned up because I had to go to court. And uh, the the adjustable thing on my clippers slid all the way to the shortest. Oh no! <laughs> and it looked horrible. <laughs> so like I had to go buy a razor, which I hadn't done in you know who knows how long. And then when it was all said and done, I'm looking at my bare face. I didn't even recognize myself. It was
0: oh, it was weird. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling, dude. And like I was, man, I had to have been in the neighborhood of 300 pounds when I did it, and, and my hair was kind of long also, and when my hair gets long, it gets really curly. All right. And so, yeah, I trimmed my beard down, but I hadn't cut my hair, and so I had, like, this weird, like, jerry curl-looking thing up top, <laughs> and just this smooth, like, really white, super fat face. Oh, man. <laughs> it was awful. I looked like like a cross between Charlie Brown and uh, Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh that's great This <laughs> not it's not a good look and i was like i am never no. ever gonna use a razor on my face ever again and so right yeah, <laughs> like if it like when it gets really hot like now in the summer I, I usually keep it shorter but yeah i let it get pretty long last time and I don't know it was fun. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I know. When uh, it got hot, it was like a heat sponge. Well, terrible. there's no doubt
1: about that. <laughs> I think it was two years ago. I went to a, a beard competition in Maine, oh, and nice. it was just like it was just like this spur of the moment thing. I've got a friend who lives in Portland, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go do this. I didn't expect anything, and I ended up taking second place in my division, and uh, I got to drink free beer all day, so that was pretty cool too.
0: Um, yeah, that's never a bad thing.
1: <laughs> no, and it was all like really nice, like locally made beers. It was, it was a great time, and the the beard competition was so much fun. <laughs> so now I've got this neat trophy for my beard. <laughs> oh, no kidding. What what place did you take, or or how does a beard competition work? It's crazy. Like it's it's very serious. They split everybody up into <laughs> divisions. So I was in natural beard less than six inches. So I could do, like, some light styling. Like, I'd use the beard oil, but I wouldn't use the beard balm. And then, like, the overall length was less than six inches. And the guy who took first place, dude, I'm serious. I think he might have actually been Santa Claus. (laughs) And I have no issues taking second place to that. dude. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no kidding, right? (laughs) Uh, And then they had, like, the the freestyle section, so these guys with all, like, the crazy beards all
0: split into different angles, and that was really neat to see. Yeah, well, what I was going to ask is, you said there was, like, natural? What is, like, the unnatural side? Is that just people Uh, having, like... Oh, Okay. That'd be somebody, like, having, like, a huge beard, and they make, like, a hollow in it and put, like, a little stuffed sparrow in there? Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) You
1: know, like uh, with a natural, you can use like some light styling products, but you don't want to give it like a, like if you were to like shape it, your long beard into a point, they would count that as like a styled beard where you still want it in natural to have kind of its natural flow.
0: Okay. Um. Oh man, I was going to ask you something else about that. <laughs> I I lost it. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, my wife out of the blue one day just sends me this picture and it's a link and it was these people that were like gold frosting their beards. So oh, it was, like man. gold and silver frosted. I'm like, "No way." But well, I mean, like, these were impressive beards. I mean, it looked like you did to take a put a lot of time into growing this thing. And then to put that that kind
1: of product in there like, oof. <laughs> <laughs> I know, what's okay. that look like going down the train right <laughs> <laughs> I know I think in November uh, I'm going to do a rose quartz cosplay and so I'm going to end up doing my hair and my beard pink and I've never put any like colored products in my beard and I don't want to do it like a permanent dye so uh, it's going to be interesting I found one guy who did it um, and he had a pretty good sized beard as well but he actually like bleached it and then dyed it and man, it, it came out awesome, but I'm not that committed.
0: <laughs> so. Oh, man, I totally lost it again. <laughs> <It> <laughs> What's happens, wrong man. with me tonight? <laughs> well, it's all good. <laughs> it's
1: it's one of those Tuesdays that feels like a Monday, so I get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a crazy day, man. Um, I know we have
1: audits going on at work like crazy, so. I can relate <laughs> well, let's see it was
0: last I think it was last Friday my wife was my wife works really early mornings, so she was okay. driving to work at like I don't know, like three thirty in the morning yeah and and her car broke down on her on the side of the road, oh man, and like I had had my phone on silent, and so like when I eventually woke up, I had like twelve missed calls from her, <laughs> and it was it was really bad and so. <laughs> <laughs> she, i can imagine <laughs> she eventually got a hold of her mom and her mom was able to like, go pick her up yeah i felt pretty bad about that and so my lesson is okay make sure your phone is not on silent when you go to sleep
2: especially exactly. when you
0: use it as your alarm you idiot oh, man. <laughs> so, oh. yeah so it looked like either way i was in i was in for a rough morning there but oh, yet, sure. yeah and so i just found out today that basically the engine in her car is like seized up oh man that's and, that's yeah.
1: rough Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's that's been the thing that's been weighing heavily on my mind today. It's like
1: (laughs) And when it's something like that, like you have to, you know, take into account how much the car is worth, and would it be better off to just get a different vehicle or put the money into it? Like it's a it's a big consideration. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, it's just one of those parts of being an adult that sucks. Oh yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) The stupid responsibility part. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, it
0: weighs down on you that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> so so with you guys doing the D and you're actually incorporating it into a podcast now yeah which is uh the first time
1: any of us are really doing something like this so it's it's been really fun uh we our second episode isn't up yet it'll probably be up on thursday is your first and, episode uh, up then yep the first episode's up on Podbean. what's it called it's called uh, the Woodward Homestead Adventuring Company, or WAC for short. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my buddy who whose house we recorded at, uh, he and his almost wife uh, bought a, a farm that when they bought it, it was actually a B&B, uh, B&B. And they've turned it back into a working farm. So they call it the, I think it's the Woodward Homestead and Orchards. So they have like a nice little apple orchard, and they do all sorts of different vegetables and fruits and corn, and uh,
0: so they host us there for our game nights. So it used to be a B and B, but now you use it for D and D. Exactly. That's a good. I'm gonna copyright that slogan. There you go. You take it a step further, and we listen to C and C Music Factory. Oh God. this is getting out of hand that was really (laughs) awful that was one of those thoughts i should have kept to myself (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great but yeah it's been
1: uh it's been really fun actually recording and i've noticed too that like it's it's helped kind of keep things going during the campaign there we're not going off on as many not worthwhile tangents if that makes sense Kind of keeps us a bit more focused, which I
0: I prefer playing in that style anyway. So I mean, how does so the person who's like the dungeon master, do they just like come up with like a storyline and everybody just kind of works into it?
1: Yeah. So like, for example, I have a a campaign that I did a few years ago where I just from the ground up made this story that these people were going to meet on a boat. They were all being hired by the king whose son had gone missing and their deal was to find the sun, and I had clues hidden throughout the different areas they could visit that would lead them to the location of the sun. And then uh, they would find out that he was getting turned into a, a gnoll, which a gnoll in D D is like a almost like a, a walking hyena. I think that's a good way to describe it. That's creepy. Yeah, and then like the whole there's a whole story around that. So you either make up your own story or you, like I said, you can buy the adventures where it'll lay out. And the the adventures are really good if you're getting into it because they'll lay out the overall story. They'll give you the encounters with all the stats for the enemies that the party is going to be fighting. Um, It'll give you the loot that they're going to get. It'll give you the experience they're going to get. It's a great tool for someone who's getting into it. And then the, the player is just interact with the, each other in this, this made-up world and follow the storyline. And sometimes they follow it, I don't want to say the correct way, but the more direct way, I guess. And sometimes they can end up going the complete wrong direction and everybody ends up dying or they just don't find what
0: they were looking for. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Um, I read a whole bunch of a, a fantasy writer named Raymond E. Feist when I was in high school. All right. And um, his first book was called Magician. And I... See, I had gotten into Magician when it was like a... a, um, It was like a later print edition, and so it had a big section in it written by Raymond E. Feist where he kind of talked about how it all came to be. And I guess him and a group of his friends in the 70s kind of... They started off playing D&D and then branched off and created their own world that they called Midkemia, and then they had a whole history and everything with that and eventually they told him they were like hey you should write a book that talks about how the greater path magic returned to Midkemia," and that was basically the start of the book magician oh that's awesome yeah it's it's a really excellent book you'd you'd probably dig it do you read very much as far as fantasy stuff oh
1: for sure like i'm a big fan <laughs> of the salvatore like books um <laughs> which if you've never checked out r.a salvatore Those books are published by Wizards of the Coast, and they're actually set in the D&D universe. Okay. So they're set in the world of Faerun, which is the the proper name for the world of Dungeons and Dragons. And you have the characters who are the, you know, the main characters, Dritz Dwarden, who's a drow elf, which are these, you know, dark-skinned elves who live under the surface. And they're, like, normally, they're, like, the most hated race, like, out there. They're horrible people, traditionally. And he's, like, one of the very few good ones. And then he's, you know, friends with this dwarf. And then the, the dwarf has an adopted human daughter. And then there's, like, a barbarian character named Wolfgar. And, like, there's a, a halfling. And it, it's all the, the races that you, you would play in D&D. And uh, the author, like, the way he writes combat, you just get, like, so pumped reading it. And you can just visualize it in your head. It's, it's wonderful.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. That's um that's one of the best things about I don't know, just that genre in general, like that was really my whole time through high school was as soon as I discovered that genre of books, like that was all I read. And so I read all those Raymond E. Feist books, I read all the Lord of the Rings books. Um just out of high school I discovered um a series by Terry Goodkind called The Sword of Truth. Okay. And that that was, like, it made all the other fantasy stuff I had read before seem like it was very PG, PG-13. <laughs> then Sword of Truth was just, like, it was so brutal and there was so much fucked up stuff going on in it. Terry Goodkind, did he write, like, Wizard's First Rule? Yes, that's the first book in, in the Sword of Truth books. Okay, that is that series. All right. Yeah, have you read those or just heard of them? I read the first one. and <laughs> Yeah, then you know what I mean. Like, They're... it's fucked <sighs> up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like I want to read more of it, but it is an investment because that's another one of those series. Yes. I think a lot of fantasy series are that way. Oh yeah, where like, like once you commit to it,
0: your your shelf's going to be full. <laughs> um, for me, I didn't hit a book the drug in the Sword of Truth until like book seven. I think it was called The Pillars of Creation. And that one, was All right. just, I was just like, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> just like beating my head against the wall. Just get through this. Because <laughs> almost every book centers around the main character, Richard, and then, you know, uh, Colin. And, um, and also, also everyone has a theme where it's like Richard and Colin get together and then forces drive them apart. And then usually by the end of the book, they're back together. They're back together. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's pretty cool, all the different stakes and everything. And in, it's a really, really humongous world that he created. And the history of magic in it was very different from anything else I had read in the genre. So I, I'd i highly recommend those books. The, the next one's called Stone of Tears, and that one's pretty good. I'm going to have to reread Wizard's First Rule and try giving that series another shot. <laughs> yeah, I've got all the <laughs> books. Well, I think he actually continued on and wrote like some of because i had heard it was going to end with the book confessor but then i think he actually continued on the series more which i haven't read oh wow (laughs) yeah i know right (laughs) but uh i've got uh all of them in paperback but i had loaned out wizard's first rule to a friend years and years ago and so now i don't know where that one's at (laughs) (laughs) i know recently i picked up the the very
1: first book chronologically in the the witcher series which they're making into a Netflix TV series. Okay. And it's it's a very, very popular video game series. And I had no idea how popular the books were. But they're, they're written by a Polish author. And I guess over there, he's, like, super well-renowned. He's almost like a, a national icon. Oh, cool. And uh, I picked up the first one. And I finished, like, the first section of it. And it is... Very very high fantasy, uh, which I which I enjoy, and it's a lot. It's better than Game of Thrones in my opinion. Uh, I really didn't like the first Game of
0: Thrones book. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I never read the books. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll come back to that. You finish your story. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, it's definitely. I
1: think it's going to be a, a good read overall, and nice. I'm excited to read that before the uh, the
0: Netflix series comes out. <laughs> See, I'd heard A Witcher before and. When you said video game, I was like, I wonder if that's where I'd heard of it. I know the uh, the
1: third game in the series is like one of the biggest video games ever made. It's this super expansive world, you know, that people put, you know, over 200 hours of time in for just like the the side stories. And I I never played it. I
0: don't have that type of free time. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, uh, that kind of led to me getting out of video games a long time ago. It's just the lack of free time.
1: Oh, they And I, I love the role-playing games. Like I I absolutely adore that genre. But I can't play all of them that I want to because they take up so much time.
0: Oh, yeah. When I was in high school, I bought Final Fantasy VII. And I, I could never bring myself to delete that saved game off the memory card. Yep. And then I could never bring myself to throw that game out or that memory card out. <laughs> so... so I've still got them both. <laughs> but I think it's like 55 <laughs> hours or something. I went through everything like like raced and bred chocobos until i got the golden (laughs) chocobo and then rode out to that island in the middle of nowhere and got the knights of the round materia yeah (laughs) i think i used it on like a beach slug (laughs) or something (laughs) just because i had to see it just a little overkill (laughs) oh yeah
1: (laughs) i actually just beat seven for the first time maybe like four months ago oh awesome (laughs) and i've had it since i like that was my first rpg like i got my playstation Christmas of 1997 and like shortly after we went to the store to pick out what games I wanted and this is going to sound horrible, but seven year old me saw the cover of that and there was a Mako reactor on there and Mm -hmm. it looked like a star Wars droid. So I'm like, Oh, this is a star Wars game, you know, (laughs) despite the fact that there's a guy with a sword on it and not a lightsaber. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I ended up picking that up and, uh, I, I actually beat it on original hardware uh i recently maybe about a year ago my aunt found a brand new crt tv and it it was like a very late model crt so it's it has the component inputs and the s video inputs so it's perfect for getting like the best picture out of those old consoles
0: (laughs) yeah i got my old playstation 2 hooked up in my kids room and it's on a crt
1: You know, I love it because there's so many great light gun games out there. And uh, like I know I recently picked up a Sega Saturn and I got it for like super great price. Um, And most of the games for that system are are pretty expensive. But there's a couple good light guns out there that are uh, pretty fun for that.
0: So speaking of the like the original technology, what got you on a quest to to really do that? Because you're really into cassettes, too, right? Oh yeah, like I'd say records.
1: Stuff? I'd say records more so than cassettes, but I'm, I'm big into both. <laughs> okay, right on. Yeah, so, I just. So what led to that? So a lot of like the the older music was recorded on actual tape, like magnetic reel to reel. And I think it sounds best playing analog media through an analog system. Versus converting it to a digital format and just hearing an audio file. Sure. Um, and it's the same thing with, like, games. Like, yeah, I can download Final Fantasy VII on my PS3. It's probably on there already. And play it through my HD TV at 1080. Or I can just hook up my old PlayStation and play it the way it's meant to be played. And it's, it's definitely not something for everybody, because... If you're into physical media like I am, that is a commitment like you have to have a place to put this stuff. I have yeah. to have a separate TV for this stuff like. <laughs> and like I love my records. Like I I love there's nothing there's very little in the world that I love more than like putting that record on the turntable and like putting my headphones on and dropping the needle and it's just
0: bliss. It's it's almost like a ritual. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. That was, that was the first music I got into when I was a kid, um, was going through my mom and dad's vinyl collection. Oh, and for sure. <laughs> that was where I first discovered uh, Black Sabbath. Dad had... Uh, <laughs> was it? We sold our souls for rock and roll. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jethro Tull, he had the original Masters Aqualung. album. Oh, oh, yeah, with Aqualung and Locomotive <laughs> Breath. And <laughs> I got a lot of fond memories. I actually listened... So I don't remember which album it is. It's the Queen album with the big robot on it, and it's got We Are the Champions. And I actually listen to that song so much that I actually hate We Are the Champions (laughs) now. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And like, usually to the point that... If I hear We Will Rock You, I get excited. And then uh, towards the end of the song, I'm like, they're going to roll right into fucking We Are the Champions. Uh, yeah, and they the are. going to
2: suck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: See, when I was – I think I, I started getting into vinyl when I was probably about a freshman in high school. I found my parents' collection. And there was a lot of village people in ABBA. And there was also my brother Yeah. Dancing uh, Queen. Right? I love that song. It's like good. no shame. That song is so good. A lot of ab is really good. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but uh I have the album sleeve for it. I don't have the actual album, but it was my brother's He Man and the Masters of the Universe, like storybook vinyl. Oh cool. And it it's a neat piece of art to have the sleeve. I just wish I had the actual album.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a bummer yeah that's like and then uh
1: i found some of my mom's older brother's 45s and it's a lot of stuff from like the 50s and 60s so i have an original 45 of the beatles let it be oh sweet oh that's that's one of my favorites uh i've got a 45 of johnny Cash's bring a fire oh. of like dion's the wanderer
0: that is so cool man
1: yeah there's a lot of great uh one of my favorites from that that I found was uh, the Monkeys' last train to Clarksville.
2: <laughs> the like Monkees.
1: I love the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> they just came out with a new album like last year. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my friend picked it up, and it's it's a pretty solid, fun album, huh. and it has a lot of like guests on there. Like one of the guys from Fall Out Boy did something. I think Dave Grohl helped with a track.
0: Like it was it was impressive well yeah i'd bet you know it's like hey do you want to record an album with the monkeys and be like holy shit, who would pass that up (laughs) i know it's like did i just really get asked that question (laughs) like i guarantee you when they were putting their shoes on that morning they did not think they were going to field that question right (laughs) (laughs) actually uh before
1: before the skype call tonight i was listening to the the deadpool soundtrack on vinyl (laughs) oh no kidding yeah how hard is it to find current stuff that's on vinyl it's easier than you could imagine. Like go on Amazon and it's there. Uh, There's such, there's been over the past, I'd say eight years, there's been a huge vinyl resurgence. Um, Record store day started in, I believe 2007. And it started, it was a very small movement just to get people back into the record store. And the companies would release like, limited run special edition vinyls and now it's become like for me it's like my favorite holiday of the year and the the store opens up at like 10 so I'll get there at, like 8 30 eight o'clock and I'll just wait in line and then it's it's almost like a Black Friday thing except everybody's really cool <laughs> and like helping you find what you're looking for um this past year record store day was actually, while I was out at C2E2. So I didn't really get to, uh, to find anything I was looking for. But the year before, I was the third person in line. And the guys in front of me was uh, an older guy and his like 12-year-old nephew. And this kid was like, it made me really happy for the future generations. Because he knew like all the metal bands I was into. He was big into like uh, David Bowie. And that was like, because that was after Bowie had passed... Uh, they were releasing some of his stuff. And like this kid was like dead set on getting, I think it was like a Ziggy Stardust album. Like it was it was a really neat experience that year. Wow, and how old was the kid? I mean, he was maybe 12 years old.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've gotten some neat stuff. Like uh actually I found it today cuz I f- I forget that I have this 145 and it's uh like three songs from the movie Nosferatu which was the, the first Vampire movie made I in
2: 1922. Old, yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> and I, I have a lot of soundtracks. I, I kind of collect soundtracks on vinyl. And uh, like I've only listened to that like once or twice because it's in a really nice album sleeve. And I need to, my turntable, I can actually convert from the, the vinyls to MP3. And I need to do that with that. And that way I don't have to, to pull that one out and I can get it framed.
0: Oh, that's a good idea. When I was a little kid, I found a collection of it was either Mozart or Beethoven symphonies, and it was this really big, thick book, and it had like a half dozen different records in it. Awesome. It was really cool. And the the records, ended, they were really, really thick, too, which was weird. They were like twice as thick as like all the other ones in my mom and dad's vinyl collection.
1: They might have been. It's a different RPM. I think it's 75. Yeah. It's a it's a higher RPM rate. They're a thicker, uh, thicker material, and uh, they're 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 used a lot for music like that and for a lot of spoken word stuff. I think it's seventy five RPM.
0: Huh. Well, yeah, I was just listening to it on. Was it usually thirty three or forty five or, or forty five? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and so this was. I mean, it was the size of like the you know the big records, but they ended it up was being like, like super thick. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really <laughs> thick and they were in like a big enough book to where it like sat. And so I had it like up on like a shelf type thing. And then it got knocked off onto the floor and every single one of the records was broken. Oh man, that's horrible. I know. I was really bummed out, but man, now I'm really curious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, was I listening to those like too slow?
1: <laughs> you might've <have> been. <laughs> I know, uh, one of the the better records that I found recently is actually a collection of Winston Churchill speeches. Oh, that'd be cool. Like, it's it was totally a random find that I found at the flea market. And I've, I've listened to it once, and that's another one I have to convert. And, like, it's just crazy listening to these speeches, because it starts, you know, prior to World War II, and it, it ends after the war. And there's, there's other speeches on there, too. I think there's, like, an Eisenhower speech, but it's mostly Churchill. And it's just got this quiet kind of orchestral music behind it, and I was really happy I found that because it's so different.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it'd be that Eisenhower speech where he was warning people about the... <laughs> the, the, uh, the
1: government war machine? <laughs> yeah, the industrial military complex. That, that's right. That <laughs> that speech is so powerful. It's, and it's creepy, isn't it? I think it's more relevant than it's ever been. Like, ugh. Oh,
2: they, I get
0: chills listening to that.
2: <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's
0: like... Like, they're talking about, like, cutting fund- or funding for, like, you know, feeding kids and shit like that. And it's like, yeah, but you're still okay with spending billions and billions on the military when we were already the biggest one in the right. fucking world. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I
1: think it's what, if we cut our military budget by half, we'd still be, I think, like, ten times over the next ten countries or something like that. Holy it was Like, shit. it was ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, (laughs) Ugh. That's all I can say. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Just the way that it seems the big wheels turn in Washington is, it's disheartening. It's extremely disheartening. (laughs) Well,
1: <laughs> that's, and that's just, why I buy records to cheer up. <laughs> that's what I was just gonna say. That's why we have our hobbies to forget about that sort of shit. <laughs> I know uh I was I was really lucky. There's a a show that I really enjoy called Steven Universe. And at San Diego Comic Con, uh, there's a company called I am 8 Bit, and they're really worth checking out if you want to get like some some neat video game or or movie vinyl stuff. Um, and they did a, I think it was a special edition 7-inch, and the A side is one of the songs from the show, and the B side is an exclusive version played by the the showrunner, who also writes a lot of the music. And they made 3,000 copies, and then randomly I just happened to check their Facebook at the right time. They were like, oh, hey, we put 1500 up for sale on our website, and I was on it like, boom, and I managed to get a copy. Oh, cool. <laughs> so that will be pretty neat when that comes in. I've got some other cool soundtracks. Like, uh, I actually recently picked up a bunch of nineties Nickelodeon on like one bright orange vinyl. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course so, it's bright orange. <laughs> got to revisit the, the music of my youth. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. One of the records I had when I was a kid, it was called Looney Tunes and it was just a bunch of like weird, like Dr. Demento style. Oh, that's cool. Of, like music. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, God, I was sad when that thing, I, I pissed off my younger sister one time and she walked over and picked it up off no. the turntable and like no. drug a nail down it just to piss me off.
2: Oh it, it man, never that's
0: never played horrible. right again after that. Oh, my heart
1: a, aches just hearing that. Uh,
0: it was a casualty
1: of the sibling war. Right. <laughs> and I remember the first album I ever bought. I bought it at Goodwill and it was a copy of ZZ Top's Fandango. Oh cool. <laughs> and I uh, still have and that's got like Tush on it. It's got one of the other big hits on there. I think Cheap Sunglasses. Like man, that's that's a good album. <laughs> <laughs> you you did grow up listening to a lot of good music. Holy shit. Oh yeah, I did. Like if I was in my mom's car, it was always like the Oldie Station. And if I was with the old man, it was like the the Modern Day Country Station. So, a lot of Beach Boys, a lot of Beatles Gar- and then a lot of like Garth Brooks and Reba McEntire. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I remember when. What would that have been? I think that would have been like in the early '90s when like country started getting really popular on the it, radio. It was here, weird how popular country was in the '90s. Yeah, and. So yeah, I got a lot of memories of like my mom having like Trisha Yearwood and stuff like that, and then having to ride in the car with her and my sister, and they'd be singing along. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I'd be in the back praying for death. <laughs> And see, like, I mean, I grew up on
1: like a small farm and I was I was in 4-H my whole life. So every year at the 4-H fair, which is also the weekend of my birthday, like every year uh, they would have on like the Saturday night, they would transform the one of the cow barns into like a dance floor. And they would just play like country music over the
0: speakers. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Oh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, the the first concert I ever ended up going to was actually Reba McIntyre and Sawyer Brown. That was probably a pretty good show. It it actually was a really good show. <laughs> I know, uh, like, but, uh, we play... But, you know, it's still, it's like, dude, that was your first concert. That's right? sad. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was so not into country, but it was like, they're like do you want to go? You can go and see a concert. And I'm like, all right, I'll go. And yeah, Sawyer might Brown as well. did put on an awesome show. <laughs> right, I think my my
1: second concert was the Pussycat Dolls opening up for Backstreet Boys. <laughs> and I got free tickets to go with my friend, and we were, like, front and center. And I don't remember, like, the name of which Backstreet Boy he was, but he jumped up and, like, gave my friend a hug, and I <laughs> fist-bumped it. Like, I fist-bumped the dude. I don't... I think... His name might have been Joey. I think that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like... Like, had that been, like, Steve Harris that had jumped up in front of me, I'd have been on my knees, like, we're not worthy, you know?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think my second concert ended up being uh, Pantera, White Zombie, and Deftones. Ah, oh, nice. So, so, yeah, I made up for it. <laughs> that, was, that was a 95. And I remember I heard they were coming to Cedar Rapids, and so I told my mom I wanted to go. And she kind of laughed and was like, yeah, if you can save up enough money to get a ticket, you can go. So I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> White Zombie probably put on a great show. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was really, really cool. Their backdrop was really neat looking. And that was kind of right before the band like kind of broke up. And then it was pretty much just Rob Zombie.
1: Right. And but, see, um, he lives like in Connecticut. So he's not that far from me. Oh, that's cool. And I've I've always wanted to go to one of his shows because he does play a lot around here. And his shows are like so theatrical. Like I would love to see one of those.
0: Yeah, I remember when when that was when Pantera had had their Great Southern Trendkill album. So that's what they were touring on that summer. All right. And so right when they started off, you couldn't see them. There was just like a big, huge curtain up that. If you looked at the back of the Great Southern Trendkill or bleh, the Great Southern Trendkill album, it was like a kind of like a black and white of an American flag with, like, a coiled-up rattlesnake on it. All right. And so that's what this curtain was. It was just, like, a a big, huge, like, silk version of it. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, and they had these, like, things projected down onto it that were kind of moving around, and it was playing the song Suicide Note Part 1, which is, like, really slow, melodic song. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not with that one. And then, well, then it goes into Suicide Note Part 2, which is, like, the polar opposite, where it's just, like, super high-tempo, screaming. (laughs) death metal fucking awesomeness. Right. <laughs> but like, we're all so transfixed in the crowd and, you know, we're just watching all these symbols and it's like, like, like little pentagrams going around. <laughs> and then it's like the, the Pantera, like Cowboys from hell logos floating around. And then it was like pot leaves. and it was pot leaves. Everybody's <laughs> cheering.
1: <laughs> Do you know that Pantera did a song for SpongeBob SquarePants? No fucking way. <laughs> I used to have, and this was like early days of SpongeBob. They came out with a CD that was a bunch of music from the show. And there's a song on there just called Jellyfishing. And it starts off with, like, Patrick and SpongeBob just yelling jellyfishing a few times. And then it's just this, like, super heavy, aggressive music. And it was Pantera. <laughs> That's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
2: Have
1: you, uh, have you seen the movie Deathgasm? No. It's on Netflix. And it is one of the funniest, like, horror comedies I have ever seen it's uh, about this kid whose mom ends up getting arrested for like doing meth and like stealing something so he has to go he's like this metalhead kid and he has to go live with his super religious like aunt and uncle and he meets like this other metal kid and then these like two dorks who are playing D&D <laughs> and then uh, they end nice. up like they end up like finding this sheet of music that's written in Latin and they don't know what it is and then they play it and it ends up like summoning the demons and it's it's insanity (laughs) like and then they like have to kill like a bunch of the townspeople because they're all possessed it is i mean it is insane and it's it's uh it's a new zealand movie and it's it's actually great because the main character in that was one of the power rangers during the disney era so you have like this guy who I, I still picture is like the Green Ranger from, you know, 10 years ago. And now he's got like a chainsaw on his hand cutting up zombies. It's or, you know, demons. It's fantastic.
0: <laughs> which Green Ranger was it?
1: Uh, he was from the series called RPM, Okay. which was supposed to be like the end of Power Rangers again. Because uh, <laughs> that was when Din- Z- uh, Disney was getting ready to get rid of the rights.
0: I was never into Power Rangers when I was younger. I was just old enough to where I missed the boat on it. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. But doing the comic cast with Jordan, Jordan's so into it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, I, re- I respect the opinions of my friends. And so I'm like, I'm going to give it a fair shake. And so I tried watching the original series and didn't make it very far. No. <laughs> but, I, like, I could appreciate it for what it was. <laughs> and also, like, like the Pink Ranger was at Kimberly yeah amy and, Jo johnson yeah like you, you i don't know you don't see women like that on tv these days no. like, <laughs> like i was just like oh my god she's got really sexy legs it seems like the ladies on television a lot of them these days it's like like Dude, what the hell's wrong with your legs <laughs> like, she was really attractive gap, it's like, like i don't like that <laughs> it's like give me one with like real legs
1: <laughs> right and she was actually a gymnast and she had a gymnast body that explains it and uh, what's right. funny about Power Rangers <laughs> is uh, Stan Lee almost brought them over as a Marvel property in the 80s. Dude, what would that be like if if Power Rangers were in Marvel? That, that was very, very much so almost a thing. Uh, there was a, a Super Sentai, which is the Japanese show Power Rangers is based off of. And I believe it was Sun Vulcan, which was one of the late 70s series. And stan lee had looked into it and there was a magazine article and if i can find it i'll send you the link and it was an interview with stan lee and he was talking about looking into acquiring the rights for this franchise nice could you imagine how crazy that would have been like how how different power rangers would be now
2: yeah if
1: they could like we could instead of getting an awesome power rangers movie that we got you know this year we could have seen them fighting alongside, you know, Thor and the Avengers. <laughs> I can only imagine that thought makes some people
0: tear their hair out.
1: Uh, it makes, I love it. Like, I want to see that.
0: <laughs> because, you know, they'd do a comic that was Power Rangers versus Thanos. Right?
2: <laughs> that would be Squirrel interesting.
0: Squirrel Girl is the, the sixth ranger who comes in, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. That, yeah. Okay. Squirrel Girl. Yeah. <laughs> okay so like i gave my first shake at a squirrel girl comic in oh, what was it like a week week or two ago all right yeah i don't i i need to read some more of it but is is she kind of like a not super serious character <laughs> Wait, were you reading like the the newer run uh let's see what it was i can tell you i mean
1: either way she's definitely a family friendly like comedy series
0: it was kind of funny.
1: Oh, yeah. that's It was probably the newer one.
0: Unbeatable Squirrel def- Girl from 2015.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's a fantastic run. I mean, it's still ongoing. <laughs> I'll keep reading oh. it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, eventually, she gets her own Iron Man suit. Uh, and her, one of her squirrels, Tippy Toe, also gets like an iron squirrel suit, which is funny because it's essentially <laughs> just Iron Man's glove with like a, a crystal bubble for the squirrel to put its head in. <laughs> uh, Squirrel Girl's so badass. Like, Squirrel Girl single handedly defeated Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet. That is a thing that happened.
0: Why are people she, so not wanting to give her props for that? I have no generally idea. When it, like, generally, when it comes up, it's either people talking about, you know, I love Squirrel Girl, like your perspective, or, or people. Or they being hate like, her. Yeah. like, Ugh.
2: I. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, like, back in the in the 90s, it might have been maybe the, the early 2000s, when Jessica Jones and Luke Cage had a kid, there's a uh, pretty famous panel where they were interviewing people to be potential, like, nannies for the kid. And the last one is Doreen. And I forget the answer that she gives, like, why she'd be a good nanny. But it was, like, super, like, heartfelt, and she ended up being the nanny for their kid. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like... <laughs> Uh, and in like the new series, she stopped Galactus from eating Earth by sending him to a planet made of, I think, acorns. And he was just like eating acorns all day now. <laughs> <laughs> like she, she's a great character. She's been to Asgard. Like she's all sorts of crazy stuff. She, she's a really great, upbeat, positive character.
0: So what was your first introduction to her?
1: It was actually that 2015 comic. Uh, my buddy had gotten it. He's, he's a huge comic fan. And I was like kind of into comics. But I wasn't like super into them. And it was just one he had picked up. And I think the cover for that. She's like daydreaming at a desk. And it shows her being like carried by the rest of Avengers. Getting applause by them. And I'm like this looks kind of cool. And I was just hooked. Like day one. <laughs> Well that's pretty cool. I'll I'll, I'll keep reading it. <laughs> it's definitely worth it. Like if you can pick the first trade up, it's it's a great trade. Uh in that trade you'll get to see uh Iron Man Squirrel Girl, which is a
0: whole lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just on the first uh issue of it, so I'll I'll keep going and I'll let you know. Yeah, you'll have to keep me posted. <laughs> I'll talk about it on Comic Cast, too. If nothing else, just so I'll be able to feel Jordan rolling his eyes through the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> There's some books that I'll bring up to him. And I'll be like, dude, are you going to read this? He's like, I am not reading that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I bought the uh, Lobo and uh, Wiley e. Coyote team up book. Oh, man. <laughs> just because I was like, OK, I grew up on Looney Tunes. And right. I, I want to see Lobo. Getting into the same sort of bullshit that Wiley e. Coyote would get into, and I was—that's <laughs> exactly what I saw in that book. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, I did finish it though, and just immediately hand it to my kids. And I was like, "Here, this is for your collection, guys." Right? <laughs> They're like,
1: "Oh, thank you." <laughs> oh, that's funny. You uh, you just finished reading The Wicked and the Divines first trade, right? I did. Oh I did. same here, man. Ugh. dude, I loved it. It was so good. I like the the character of Lucy. I was not expecting like her the end to happen to her. Like, oh ooh. I
0: know. Ugh but yeah. And that the, the was... artwork for that's beautiful too. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was it really reminds me of the the artwork that's in Alex and Ada. Oh, I it's... love Alex and Ada too. <laughs> oh yeah, you've read that one? Oh yeah. Oh man, I just finished that. I just got the third trade and finished it um what was it? Probably it might have been last Thursday, I think. Nice, I finished on nice. my lunch break at work, and wow. It, it did make me roll a tear on the very last page of Volume oh, 3. Oh, without I a doubt. Like, I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, I did not see the turn that it takes towards the end of that series. I don't think anybody did. <laughs> that's why <laughs> like, it's so powerful. It's so <laughs> real, where it's like, okay, yeah, that would that's a total fucking bummer, but that could happen. Right. But then, then there's that moment at the end where it's like, you know, it's like seemingly it was all worth it. You know, and, I like and, books
1: like that because they, they kind of make you question things. And I think that that's really
0: a plus to that book. Yeah. The biggest thing about Alex and Ada I enjoyed is when Ada was having discussions with I think it was she was talking with Alex or either that or she was talking with one of his friends and she was saying, you know, how is you having a body that's just made out of bones and blood, any different than mine, which is made out of computer parts and, you know, whatever fluids run it. It's like in the end, they're both just seats for consciousness, which is being right. expressed through this body. And so what if mine was manufactured and yours was organic? In the end, we're still, you know, two consciousnesses that are communicating with each other. I don't and know, as, it was incredible. And,
1: and as you look in our, our, our modern world and where technology is going... Those are discussions that we're going to have to have. Like Oh, absolutely. Uh, have you seen the the new Disney animatronics for their Avatar World?
0: No, I haven't seen any of that.
1: There's you can see a video of the the animatronic without like the skin on it and it's it's insane how intricate it is. And then you can see it actually moving around like fully set in the world and I would have sworn it was actually a, a real person in a costume
0: wow and
1: it's only a matter of time before ai's get to the point where maybe they develop their own consciousness like we could see that in our lifetime
0: <laughs> potentially i know then there's lots of people who are freaked out about it oh for sure <laughs> i mean um oh it's the tesla guy uh musk right yeah, elon, elon musk? musk yeah yeah he said that uh that people are summoning the demon like he actually goes out of his way to try and buy up companies that are getting close on it <laughs> <laughs> so he can it's it. not yeah. totally surprising it's like you're not working on that anymore shelf that project <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> and the thing go... is i think that's something that we've been questioning
0: as a society for a very long time oh, and absolutely. i mean, I mean, the concept's been bandied about in science fiction for friggin' decades. Absolutely. You know, whether it was an alien
1: race that we'd be talking with to an actual android, and you look at how it's been explored in in modern pop culture with shows like Star Trek and iRobot
0: and who knows, man. Interesting times to be alive. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what do you think that that would spell for the human race, though? Because you gotta think that If they have robots like that, one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to start taking over menial labor.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I work in manufacturing and I'm trying to get out of that field because I know that's not a field I can work in for another, you know, 40 years because I don't think in 40 years there's going to be many manufacturing jobs. It's all going to be automated.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a very real consideration.
1: Yeah. And I know I was listening to, I think it might have been Joe Rogan's podcast a couple months ago, and he he was talking with someone who works in the robotics field, and he was saying that there's a good chance that within maybe five or six years, the long-distance highway driving for truckers is going to be driverless.
0: Yeah, I heard that.
1: And it's just going to be, you know, they'll... The driverless vehicles will drop the trailer off at like a pickup destination, and then a human would drive it to its final. But that's how many people does that put out of a job, you know?
0: Yeah, and then what are all these people doing? Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. if anything, this country has shown that it does not give a shit <laughs> about helping people. No. <laughs> in that sort of way, and if you if you bring up the idea of, you know, like a universal basic income to just give out to people like people freak out about that idea big time you know I, it's going to be interesting pros and cons of that but yeah
1: yeah, what were you yeah saying? A, well like living in a in a post scarcity world like we're really like the first people to do that this is this is something that's never been encountered by our race before and it's going to be very interesting to see how it changes you know in my lifetime. I mean I'm I'm going to be 27 in a couple days. So I still got 40 years of work or so left. Like what are my work options going to be before I can retire? Will I ever be able to retire? Like or maybe 20 years from now something'll happen and we'll be exploring outer space. Who knows? Like it's there's so much potential right now than I think we've ever had before. In our
0: in our world history, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? It really does. (laughs) Have you ever? Do you listen to Rogan very often?
1: Oh yeah, I love his podcast.
0: Have you heard the ones with Graham Hancock's on and he's talking about you know ancient civilizations that could have potentially been wiped out, but we can just see traces of what they had left, like specifically like Göbekli Tepe. I love some of that stuff, man. Like (laughs) oh. It's a right in my wheelhouse. (laughs) I know. It's so fascinating. Like, so Gobekli Tepe is one that really, really blows my mind. And if if anybody, if you haven't heard of this, this is basically an archaeological find that was, I believe it was unearthed in the 50s. And it's in Turkey. And it's this big hill. And they come to find out that this hill is completely man-made. And inside the hill are all these concentric stone circles with these big mammoth shaped pieces of stone that, I mean, some of them are like, you know, like several tons and like, basically they got these big blocks in the center. They're looking at each other and they're more or less carved like a, like kind of like a weird caricature of a human. And then all okay. the pillars that are around it are all carved with like different animals. And they also found that a lot of these animals that are carved in these pillars, they're like, these weren't even indigenous to this area. Like how the hell did they know what these things looked like? And these are like base right. relief carvings to where it's like they chipped away the stone so it like it looks like there's like a big squirrel or something like that that's running up the side of a pillar. You know, it's not carved into the stone, it's like the squirrel is coming out of the stone. That's amazing. And the most incredible thing is is that they found out that these these monuments or whatever they are, they were built and then they were intentionally filled in. And so they were able to carbon date the backfill. And they come to find out that these things are twelve thousand years old. Holy moly! <laughs> <laughs> At a time where they were like, okay, people were nomads, there was no agriculture, and people were basically just you know hunter gatherers. It's like, okay, explain this then. Explain exactly. how they did this without metal tools. And you know, and we know that there's lots of civilizations basically pop up along the coast. And we know that there was an intense rise in ocean levels after the ice age. You know, all that, there was ice that was like two miles thick on North America. Right. That shit, not only does that mean that there's a lot of water that's not in the ocean, so that's going to drop the levels, that much ice sitting on North America also depressed the crust and so it would have pressed out the rest of the globe like a balloon. So it's like God knows what the hell's under the ocean.
1: <laughs> Who knows, man? Like and that's the thing. Like uh I know Jared had recently had like a, a dispute with his wife about what was more terrifying. Either going skydiving or going like under the under the ocean. And <laughs> to be totally honest, man, I don't know what's under the ocean, and it's a terrifying thing. It's terrifying. Like, send me up into outer space. I will go visit Mars, one-way trip, I'll colonize there. If I end up getting attacked by xenomorphs, whatever.
2: <laughs>
0: but man, the ocean freaks me out. <laughs> the ocean freaks me. Just anytime I'm in water, and I actually saw a meme come up on or an article come up on this the other day. I don't remember what exactly what the phobia was called, but there is a like a fear of deep water where you don't know what is lurking underneath you. Right. I mean, who knows what kind of <laughs> you know wildlife might be down there. <laughs> oh yeah, and like I have that fear to an irrational level. Like I'll freak out in a farm pond. It's like there's definitely <laughs> a really high chance there's not something here that's gonna eat me, but fuck it, I can't right? handle it.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, it's crazy, man. Like I don't know, just something about the ocean.
2: Like ocean and and you have man. to
1: respect it because it it is so impressive. And I can't help but wonder because you I'm I really enjoy like hearing different mythologies and you hear about these different creatures from ancient history. And like you have to you have to think that there has to be some sort of grain of truth to this, even if it seems fantastical by our modern standards.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And who's to say that there's not some descendant of some weird sea serpent living in the ocean? <laughs> it could well be
0: there. <laughs> there could be a kraken underneath the, the polar it's, ice. It's a
1: possibility. <laughs>
0: And woe befall those who awake it from its slumber. Uh,
1: and that would be me who woke it from its slumber. <laughs> I mean, granted, if I was gonna like drown in the ocean, I guess that's a cool way to go, but
0: oh, wouldn't that be a horrible side effect of global warming?
1: Right. <laughs> we end up resurrecting, you know, or awakening these ancient
0: species. <laughs> it's like way to go, America. You woke up the fucking kraken. Right? and <laughs> it's like we like to drive though (laughs) (laughs) well i think
1: it's uh i was talking with my buddy about like uh, different vehicle technologies and stuff the other day and he was saying that france in 2020 is banning the sale of new
0: combustion engine vehicles i thought i had heard something like that that it seems like it that is a really really (laughs) tough goal to achieve yeah
1: i mean that's you know essentially two and a half years away yeah i don't know man like, I mean, long term, yeah, we have to find some other source of you know, energy for our, for our vehicles. I agree. But are we are we there yet with electric? I don't think so. Maybe maybe being that France is a smaller country than the states are, it might work over there. But I,
0: there's no way I could see that working in like stateside. Well, there's just too much here that works on big money. Oh, no doubt about it. And there's, you know, potentially no bigger money than the oil companies. Uh, and, I mean, and plus, if you do make sweeping changes like that, that means you need to get everybody in the supply chain on board with it. And, and so, that's a,
1: a nightmare of an undertaking.
0: Well, look how long it's taken just to get rid of our old credit card technology and finally move in the direction of a microchip. Right. Right. In the card that can't be easily hacked. And it's like, well, what was the what was the big deal with doing that? Well, people didn't want to roll over. Exactly. And they didn't want I know. to roll over that technology and have to pay for it, and that's going to go into the bottom line. And yep. then somewhere along the line, there's going to be a really fucking rich white guy that didn't get to get that big of a yacht that he wanted that year. Oh, it's insane. <laughs> and then like, you the amount of people that complain about it. Well, I don't know if the chip
1: works in this machine, or I swiped it. It should work anyway. And it's like... <laughs> I, like, sometimes you just have to adapt. You can't, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, on one hand, I'm clinging to my, my records, and I love recording on, you know, analog sounds and stuff, but on the other hand, like, you gotta move forward. Well, yeah, and <laughs> that's maybe not a fair analogy. But... No, it's probably not. Like, that that's a hobby compared to, you know, a shifting of societal norms. But... <laughs> exactly (laughs) i'm saying we should go back to horse and buggies. okay it was way more efficient everyone can grow their own grain to feed them
0: we're good (laughs) Uh, it's gonna walk along behind a horse and you watch those big clumps of shit fall out right (laughs) okay here's something for you why is it if somebody rides a horse through town they don't have to clean up the big giant horse turds but everybody knows you need to carry a plastic baggie with you when you're walking your dog
1: See, I don't know, because whenever I had my like, whenever I would ride my horse, we just had this bag that like attached under their tail and collected the shit. Ah, oh, so everybody with a horse should have a shit bag. It's true. It's it's a very cheap investment, and it makes it makes the the area you're riding in look nicer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh. There's a interpretive trail at the state recreation area that's just a few miles away from my house, and so this trail is oh, maybe like seven-eighths of a mile long, and it goes through a bunch of wooded hills. All right. Cutting right through the middle of it is a horse trail that actually goes around this lake, and it's probably like a 10-mile loop. And so they got signs, you know, for the interpretive trail part that say no horses. And I don't even know why somebody would want to take a horse on it, because, like, there's seriously areas, like, they do not keep up with, like, trimming this trail. Right. (laughs) Like, when I first discovered this trail, I went out there with a folding saw and, like, Cleaned it up so people could actually walk on it without <laughs> crawling through sections, and so I can't imagine how these people get horses on it, but recently we've been having to watch our step because some asshole went off the the humongous horse trail onto this tiny little hiking trail and let the horse shit all over it, of course, there's always
1: someone to ruin it for everyone, oh, you know it's like you' guys that one a... in every crowd,
0: yeah, it's like you guys got a ten mile loop, and you want to go on this seven eighths of a mile one where you gotta duck under all the branches <laughs> right, see like I live right next to the largest state forest
1: in Connecticut. And I believe it's the only state forest in the state that still has a dedicated horse camp. Like, I mean, I had horses growing up my whole life, so I was out there like all the time. And there's always like, I would see, sometimes I would see a certain person's like truck and trailer and I'd be like, you know what? I'm just not even stopping today. Like <laughs> just keep going. Because there's always that one.
0: Yeah. There are stupid people out there who ruin it. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> when I had uh when I had Ty on the podcast, we were talking about uh stupid people at gun ranges. Oh my and, lord. And those yes. are the people that have really blown my mind.
1: <laughs> it's insane. Like the first thing you learn are like the three basic rules of gun safety. And those are things that I mean I had those embedded in my head as a child. And yeah. like then you see adults doing stupid shit and you're like, How?
0: Like, this is basic stuff. <laughs> Ugh. It's, it's an issue of self discipline, and I think also we are a bit of a product of what we see on a regular basis. And when oh, you look sure. at the way that they have actors handling firearms on TV shows, it's laughable. Oh.
1: Their their finger is always on the trigger. Like <laughs> Does that drive you nuts. <laughs> It, it, oh my Lord, whenever I see it not on the trigger and they're like proper trigger discipline, I get happy. Yeah,
0: like, I do too. Well. I'm like, yeah, you index that trigger finger. <laughs> like, way to go. <laughs> like this is like this pet peeve of mine with guns. It almost annoys me that it annoys me. But when people call a magazine a clip, oh my God, Ugh, it bothers is the me so worst. much.
1: Because like, okay. they're such totally different things, and that is directly a byproduct of like
0: the Hollywood machine. Yes. That is all that is. Yes. Yep. <laughs> it bothers me so much. Right? Ugh. It's like, okay, here's the PSA from StartCast. <laughs> right. A magazine is an enclosed box with a spring on the inside that spring loads the ammo in an upward fashion. A clip is like what you would see with an SKS, where it's just a thin metal band that holds all the ammo so it basically more or less looks like a little spike strip so there you go <laughs> the two totally different, different methods to loading a firearm <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like reading grammar errors in comment fields it's like oh, dude it's... don't 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 let that bother you no. <laughs> it's like the world's full of <laughs> stupid people don't let them
1: dictate your day <laughs> Especially when they call it a clip with a handgun. Because to my knowledge, there aren't really many handguns that would use a clip. Like, <laughs> Probably not.
2: <ugh>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, I just want to see them go to a gun store and be like, yeah, can I get a clip for
0: my Glock? No, they don't make them. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I would fucking high five the gun shop owner that would say that to somebody. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that would have been me (laughs) it drives me crazy do you shoot much
1: oh yeah uh especially like my old man uh he's he's gonna be retiring in like a year and a half or so so for the past few years he's gotten really into competitive trap shooting so i've been doing that a lot with him
0: oh that's so much fun
1: uh it's a it's
0: a blast (laughs) (laughs) what what sort of gun do you shoot or when you do that
1: uh I've got a, a Remington eleven hundred competition
0: model. Oh nice. Oh I love it. So smooth. <laughs> yeah, I use a I use a Remington eight seventy. An eight seventy Express. Oh nice, nice. To be exact. Yeah, I fucking love that gun. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> See, my uh
1: my my bird gun for for bird hunting is uh the Remington eight eight seven, which is like the updated eight seventy. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It doesn't feel as nice, like it's it's lighter weight, but it's got more plastic
0: to it. Okay. But it it serves its purpose. <laughs> yeah, this one... See, this was the gun that my dad originally bought, and then he won an 870 Wingmaster at a Ducks Ooh. Unlimited rally. And so that's the one that he prefers, and that's got the blue steel on it. And his right. 870 Express has got the matte finish on it. But So I just kind of de facto... Grew up that when Dad and I each grabbed a 12-gauge, he grabbed the really nice Wingmaster, and I just used right. the Express. <laughs> but it's like, I've killed so many ducks with that, and I, I shot my first turkey with it. I've killed so many clay pigeons with that.
1: <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Oh, man, and my I my old a, man, a, he's roll, almost though. gotten oh, sorry, his
0: dude. 100 in a row. Almost. That's what I was just going to say. The last time I went out shooting clays, I got up to 78 before I missed. And oh, nice. I was nice. so bummed out. It was in that last set of 25. Yep that yeah i had a bunch of misses then
1: and once you get up that high like it has to be in the back of your head like you're getting close you're getting close
0: (laughs) yeah and also you've raised that gun a lot at that point so
1: your muscles are starting to get your arms are getting tired you're (laughs) taking that you know that recoil (laughs) and when i started shooting trap i was shooting a 1951 browning a5 which was the first semi-automatic shotgun ever made And the way it works, if you can find a video, it's super interesting. When you fire it, the entire barrel moves backward. Oh, wow. And that's what ejects the shell and loads the new one in. So when you're firing that, that whole barrel's essentially going into your shoulder. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I sh- I would do like two rounds max, and it was just like, oh. <laughs> you definitely want to wear a shooting vest with like a pad. <laughs>
0: oh, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> it's like, but it's, gonna... me, it's a neat piece of history. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm gonna look redneck as fuck, but my shoulder's gonna <laughs> feel good, so I don't care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember when I was teaching my wife how to shoot uh, how to shoot clay pigeons, and I was showing her how to throw them. And she wasn't quite getting, like, the wrist snap where it would really release it from the right. thrower. And so, like, she was still struggling with it. And so I'm just standing there. And I'm like, pull. And then I'm waiting for it and waiting for it. And so then I kind of lower the gun and I'm talking to her. And I'm like, you know what? Just surprise me. I'll just keep the gun at the ready. And I'm standing in, like, a shooting platform that somebody had made for their Eagle Scout project. And so, yeah, and so yeah, it's it's like this... You know, more or less like a one-person little pavilion with like a little bench in front of you that you can load out all your put out all your shells and stuff on. And all of a sudden, this clay pigeon just smashes right against the post, like six <laughs> inches away from my head, and just shatters. Surprise! And then, <laughs> there was a group of dudes in the next one over, and they all just started laughing. They're like, "Like, did that surprise you?" <laughs> like, it sure, shit did, man. <laughs> oh, that's nuts.
1: I'd like to get into doing cowboy action shooting. Uh, now, what, it's, what's it's, that? Where
0: you just pick up the gun and shoot from the hip, or?
1: So you actually need four firearms to do that. You need two six-shot revolvers, you need a uh, a pistol caliber rifle, and you need a era-appropriate shotgun. <laughs> so a lot of them are either break actions or pump-action shotguns. Usually they're lever-action rifles, and then most of the time you see like the forty-five Colt you know, six shot revolvers. And you'll, it's crazy watching it because they set it up. Everybody dresses up in like full cowboy costume and they have all these like elaborate stages where you're like standing in a saloon. And then you have to say some super corny phrase like, oh, they're poison in the water hole. <laughs> and then and then like they hear the buzzer and you'll you'll go grab the rifle and you'll fire, you know, five t- five rounds with that. And you you'd put the rifle down, you go grab the shotgun, and you do, you know, five rounds of that. And then you have one handgun in each hand. And they're usually, I think, six-round guns, and you have it resting on an empty chamber. So then you shoot five from each handgun. But you're shooting, you know, one-handed out of a, a forty five Colt, which is a nice size round. Yeah. So, I don't know, it's always something that, that looked like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine those shooting competitions would be fun. Especially something like that where it's,
1: I mean, like I said, you're in costume, and it's it's like a whole environment. I think that would be really
0: cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember when I did Hunter's Safety when I was a kid, on the very last day, they took us out to a shooting range and had a whole bunch of different rifles and uh, shotguns and stuff that we got to shoot. But right before we did all that, they had a trick shooter named Wicker Bill come in and he had he had an 1100 and he had an 870 with him and i remember with the 1100 he would fan out like i think like four or five clay pigeons and just like toss them and he would shoot all five of them from the hip before they hit the ground that's insane <laughs> yeah but then the craziest part was while he would be talking to us he was just holding an 870 so this is a pump action shotgun, and just in the middle of talking, he would just eject a round from the magazine or from the chamber, and then he would shoot the shot off the end of that b- uh, shell before it hit the ground. That's insane. <laughs> and so he was like, he was like, yeah. Me and my brothers would go out shooting clays when we were kids. We'd always come back with more clays than bullets because we had so much fun doing this. <laughs> and so like he'd pick one up on the gr- off the ground, and toss it, and like pass it around to us, and it was. Like the gunpowder and the wad were still more or less intact, but just all the shot was gone. was gone. It. He just obliterated it. And it's like holy shit, this guy's a good shot. But see, I, there's a there's a guy who lives in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> never tried to shoot that because even then, in the back of my mind is like, what well, if you shoot the wrong end of that and it just turns right? out into a fucking claymore? <laughs> just, oh, it could happen. <laughs> you'd think so, right? But I I tried that with clay pigeons with a I had a pump action uh Mossberg four ten with a pistol grip. It was like a home security model. Yeah. And so the whole gun was only like nineteen inches long or something like that. But it was just big enough or just small enough to where I could shoot it one handed. And so I'd stand out on the river bank and so I'd have a good fifteen, twenty feet of drop. And yeah. I'd throw two clay <laughs> pigeons out. And I got to the point where I could get two of them before they hit the water. Nice. <laughs> and that was with the pump action. <laughs> the uh the
1: guy who taught my pistol permit class I mean, he, he's very old and retired now, but he actually was the pistol instructor at the Coast Guard Academy. And I remember him telling the story how he would have a revolver and he'd put six bullets in it. And there was always like that hot shot who could, you know, really proud of his shooting with with the, the whatever 1911s they were shooting. And he'd give him a, mag- a magazine with six bullets and he could fan the trigger on his revolver and empty it before the guy could empty the six out of his 1911. Wow. And like, man, when you see some of those people, like how fast they are, it's ridiculous. <laughs>
0: yeah, I remember watching this one trick shooter where they had him filmed with a high speed camera because at regular speed, he pulled it out and he shot six shots and you only heard two. That's insane. <laughs> it's stacked. So, you know, so closely onto each other is like the sound waves just stacked. Or whatever. Right. It's like, dude, you just fired six <laughs> shots, but you only heard two. And like, he had these short little arms. He was like this short little fat guy, and he was super talented. <laughs> and he had these like short little arms, and he just pull out that gun and just, <laughs> it was
1: accurate. <laughs> they were accurate shots too. That's the funny thing about like uh, about shooting sports is you have a lot of people who don't look like tra- like I guess you could say traditional athletes. Like you have a lot of heavy set, like good old boy type guys in there who are extremely talented at what they do, but you know they're going home and eating that country
0: fried steak. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, oh, uh. knocking back beers, right? <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with that, though.
1: Oh, not at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, in the end, I, I I got out of guns just because it, it turned into an. Ex- a hobby that was just way too expensive and it just bowed oh, me out.
1: Yeah, it's real easy to get expensive. And like my uh my main handgun that I like to shoot is a ten millimeter. And I don't reload yet, so buying ten millimeter gets that gets pretty pricey. <laughs> That's kind of a big round too, isn't it? It's it's bigger. It's what the 40 is based off of. Okay. Uh, so in the I think the late 80s, there was like a big shootout in Miami. And it was these two guys who were all like doped up on PCP and the police were shooting them with like nines and 45s and it didn't do anything. Oh. <laughs> um, so they were like, we need something else. And uh, they came up with the the 10 millimeter auto, which is it's very similar in performance to a 357 mag, but it's a hair smaller and I mean, you can get it in a semi-automatic gun
2: mm-hmm.
1: so uh, it was real popular with the FBI for a couple of years, but uh, it was so powerful that a lot of people had a hard time you know qualifying with it uh. and I think the only department in the state side that still uses ten millimeter is the FBI uh, hostage rescue team but it's it's real popular for people who live out kind of in the sticks and where you might encounter some bigger wildlife yeah uh i know i think it's in serbia they issue the glock 20 which is the standard size 10 millimeter Mm -hmm. in case a polar bear attacks
0: oh god that'd be fucking terrifying have you ever seen that video where that loony bastard gets into like a plexiglass box and then there's like a polar bear trying to get into it so I don't think so, but I don't want to, to... <laughs> either. <Ugh. laughs> I'll send you a link to the video. It's scary.
1: Because like, like, I've this... seen polar bears at a zoo, and oh.
0: it is. Man, you got to respect nature because they can fuck you up bad. <laughs> well, the thing you, that people got to remember about polar bears is it's not Coca-Cola. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, these things are, number one, bears are, I mean, yeah, they're totally awesome, but bears are fucking scary. Okay. Yeah, they are (laughs) because they're at the top of the food chain, and when you're in a place like the Arctic Circle, where there's not much going on up there, so basically, if you're moving, you're on the polar bear's diet. Exactly. Like, if you encounter a bear in the woods, like there's a good chance that. Maybe you're gonna get out of this okay, but if a fucking polar bear sees you, you are fucked. You're done. I mean, that thing's just gonna look at you and be like, "Okay, yeah, you're moving. I can eat you. Yep. You're not gonna be able to run from it. <laughs> <laughs> There's nowhere to hide. <laughs> it's like I think I think polar bears are awesome, and you know, I'm not. It isn't like I'm you know, oh fuck bears, but it's like. If you're someplace like that, you're gonna want a big gun like a ten. Oh, there's year. no doubt about it. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, I'm gonna want something even bigger. I Oh, without a doubt, Carial Smith and Wesson 500 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason that that model gun is called the Alaskan. Like, well, <laughs> 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 uh, God, polar bears are scary.
1: <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> I, just... uh, bears in general, man. Like, we have a. I mean, being right on the the edge of the forest, every year we get a couple you know bears going into people's backyards and a couple mountain lions going into people's backyards so it's it's a reality out here like when you live in the sticks that's a thing that can happen yeah and thankfully like most that happens is like someone's trash gets knocked over and they steal your bird feeder okay
2: yeah
1: like that's that's usually how it ends and it's nice and peaceful but man (laughs) if you're out like in nature who knows
0: what could happen Well, exactly. You just step into a place where you are no longer the top of the food chain. And that's one of the things that freaks me out about the ocean, is as soon as you go in that environment, you're just another thing on the menu. And for me, growing up in rural Iowa, there's really not much I have to worry about in the woods. But with some of the places that I go for climbing, it's like, it's not, it wouldn't be out of the norm to, I mean, it wouldn't be that crazy to actually see a mountain lion in some of these places. Right. Because... They have been spotted this far south in Iowa, and what better place to go than in, uh, you know, like these areas that got these limestone cliffs. It's it's pretty rough country for Iowa. You know, I mean, oh, I'm sure you you get up to the higher elevation, yeah, and it's farm fields everywhere. But as soon as you get down to where these ravines are cutting down, you get a change in out elevation. It's a different ball game. Know. Yeah, I mean, there's just lots of places that these things can hide and. You know, i've I've been walking along before, just walking along these walls and thinking. You know, it would not be like I wouldn't be surprised if, like, up on a high perch around here, there was a cat that was watching me the entire time. Right, and who's <laughs> to say that cat couldn't think that you look delicious? Yeah, you know? and also, like, I, these things. What if you just walk under it and this thing's watching you? You know, just imagine like a house cat watching like a laser pointer. Exactly, and it's tails whipping back and forth. Only you're talking about a cat that's like 120 pounds. I mean, I probably you know almost pure muscle just coming down on you. But yeah, and it's going to jump on you right when you've walked past, and it's going to try and land on your shoulders so that it snaps your spine on the way down, so you really can't put up much of a fight while it bites your neck. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Ugh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: gotta love rural living man <laughs> oh
0: my gosh right and this... keeps things interesting <laughs> <laughs> i've seen some pretty big kitty prints out in the snow going out doing lots of winter hiking i've yeah. never seen one as big as a full-grown mountain lion but i have seen ones where it's like okay that's for sure a bobcat and um, i'm pretty sure that a bobcat's not gonna want to tussle with somebody out in the woods but I mean, have you ever been just petting a house cat, and it's all happy, and it's letting you pet its belly? And it slips. <laughs> yeah, you find the murder button. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you don't want to find that button on one of those big cats. No, could you even imagine? <laughs> right? Well, it's like, you see, sometimes you see videos of, like, you know, uh, lion handlers or zookeepers hanging out with, like, lions and tigers. Those animals are awesome, and I respect them so much, but there's no way you're getting me in a cage with a lion. No. like.
0: No, That could go so bad so quick. <laughs> I mean, have you seen those things at the zoo? Like, Oh, they're, it's... Their when they, like, flex, like the you I see know. those
1: muscles. It's... Oh, man. They put
0: old-school Arnold to shame. No shit. I mean, they're fucking jacked. You're like, how am I seeing veins through fur? <laughs> like, right. This thing is so powerful. Like, you'd just stand no chance at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, just look at well, what like, a uh, house cat can do to you. Because a house cat can you don't want to tussle with a house cat right but, but the lion oh fuck i mean it's just no way you have you Romans heard of uh... just fucking toss people to those things i'm sure they would oh my God.
1: <laughs> have you uh have you heard of charles atlas
0: oh that name sounds really familiar
1: is he like a weightlifting dude he was an old school bodybuilder there you go like the traditional like triangle top narrow legs type body like old school uh-huh. strongman and he devised this workout program of dynamic tension. And you can buy like that workout program now. And it's really funny because it still reads like a 1950s like pamphlet. But he based that workout after watching how lions would like stretch themselves and use their muscles to work against each other.
0: It was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> I got into this company called Iron Minds a long time ago. And they okay. make these um, like grippers. You know, like the old school grippers that you could get where it's like you could bang out like 100 reps and like oh, your yeah. hands would still be going strong? Yeah. Well, Iron Mind made these really, really heavy duty ones called Captains of Crush. Okay. <laughs> and so that was my introduction to, to this company. And they make weird weightlifting equipment like that. Interesting. Yeah. But <laughs> one of the, the things that I – I bought a book from them called Super Squats. And so it's a a squat routine where you just do one set of 20 squats, but you got to start it at like your maximum. Huh. And then the next time you do the squat workout, you add five pounds. And so every time you do it, you add five pounds and you've got to do it in the morning before you've had any sort of nutritional intake in your body. And so, yeah, what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to put your body into a stress state where... You're doing something that is extremely taxing. You're using your biggest muscle groups to do it. And since your body doesn't have any nutrition to draw from, it actually makes your body start uh, upping the testosterone that it's producing.
2: Interesting. Yeah.
0: And so if you do this workout correctly, you're supposed to be able to put on like 25 pounds of muscle in six weeks or something crazy like that. Yeah. But I read that this one dude who was working on closing a number four captains a crush gripper, which is like something like 365 pounds. If you can touch the handles on this thing. And so this dude was training to be able to close a number four. And so he wanted to up the amount of testosterone that his body was producing.
2: And so he did
0: the super squats routine with it. And so he ended up being the first guy. I think his name was Joe Kinney. He ended up being the first guy to close a number four. And this dude was so freaking humongous he could pass a quarter through his wedding ring whoa (laughs) that's just insanity man that's not the same species that i am no (laughs) like i'm a somewhat big i'm a larger than average guy but like i would stand next to somebody like that and be like please don't eat me (laughs) well that was like uh
1: i think it was last year when i went to rhode island comic-con I walked by Lou Ferrigno. Oh, shit. And that dude, I, I would still not want to pick a fight with him because he is still ripped. And I was like, how are you a person? Like, oh, shit,
0: right? <laughs> Did you ever see the movie I Love You, Man? Oh, yeah. Jason. This Jason Segel? <laughs> right. <laughs> his character picks a fight with him. <laughs> it just gets his ass whipped.
1: Oh, so good. Oh, that's good shit. <laughs> It was crazy seeing him in person, like, because you think, you know, I mean, he's getting older in age, like, you don't think he'd still be, you look at a lot of these older guys, and they're not nearly that physically fit anymore. Man, it was, he's a beast. Oh, it's got to be TRT, right? <laughs> it's got to be something like that, man, like, <laughs> <oof>. <laughs> Like, I just started working out again, but like, man, I don't know how much effort's got to go into something like that.
0: Oh, jeez. Yeah, I can't even imagine, like. Uh, that takes us a <laughs> lot. I mean, you're spending a lot of time in the gym to be that like as big as the rock.
1: Oh, yeah. When yeah, he's yeah. like in his movie shape, like <laughs> and then you like there are videos of him showing like, you know, his diet plans for that. I don't I don't think I could physically eat that much food. Like, oh, I know. Right. How? There was another video I watched. I think it was one of the BuzzFeed videos, which I'm like, I'm iffy with BuzzFeed, but sometimes they do some cool videos. And they had a a guy and a girl who were both, like, reasonably fit. And they had the trainer who was training them was the guy who trained Chris Evans to be Cap and uh, Johansson to be Black Widow. And he put them on the same workout and the same diet. And I think they were only on it for, like, six
0: weeks. But it was insane, like, the difference that it made. Like, woof. I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, I bet, man. I mean, if you give your body the right building blocks and you no, just Im- keep tearing it down and giving it the right stuff to build it back up, like pfft. Right. What it's actually capable of doing is so impressive. Yeah. And I know in the end that's where my that's where I, my biggest failing is always my diet. I could always do better with my nutrition. Well, I'm right there with you, man. Like I've I've definitely cut down
1: a lot of the stuff from my diet. Like I I don't drink soda anymore. Um I, I cut out smoking. I think that's definitely been, like, the best decision I've ever made. Yeah, that was something I was going to ask you about, too, with the vaping. But Yeah, we can talk about that if you want, because that's... <laughs> if anyone out there is smoking, stop. Like, please. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my... Because I, I think I switched... It's been probably about two months, I'd say. And, uh, man, it is a world of difference.
0: So, like, if you're having, like, you know, like a like a Nick fit or whatever... Like, it, it does seem to, like, satisfy it if you're just hitting a vape pen or whatever.
1: Yeah, so when I got my first vape, the one I got, it was made by a company called Aspire. And it, it was low wattage. I think it only went up to 30 watts. So it still had, like, the control on it. You could change it from, I think it went as low as, like, 15 up to up to 30. Um, and there's a lot of, like, different vape pens that don't have any adjustability. It just, it is what it is. It's called a regulated battery, where it'll start at maybe, you know, 40 watts. And as you get lower, it'll adjust accordingly, so your battery lasts longer, versus a non-regulated battery, where you set it to whatever wattage you want, and it stays there until the battery just can't feed that anymore. And the, the first vape machine that I had... uh. It was designed to draw just like a cigarette. So like the, the mouthpiece was the same size as a cigarette, but it was a very similar inhale. And I was I used that one for about two weeks. And then I went back and I bought one that was a bit more bigger and had a completely different style of like, you know, intake off of it. And since I switched, I've had one cigarette when I was at the bar I had left my vape in the truck and I just bunned one off a friend and it was like the most disgusting thing ever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good place to get when you're quitting smoking is that if you do actually have one and you're like, oh, like, how did I do this for so long? Yeah. And then you really notice, like if you hold your phone up or you got to itch your nose or something like that and you're like, oh God, I can smell it on my fingers. You smell it. Fucking awful.
1: And, like, I'll smell it on coworkers and stuff. And I'm like <laughs> – and now I realize, like, why other people would complain to me. Like, my mom would always be like, you just had a cigarette. I can smell it. And when you're a smoker, you don't. Like, but, man. Yeah, you get totally nose-blind to it. Right. Now that I'm in those other shoes, it's horrendous.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, like, when I wash my hair at night, there's not, like, a yellow tinge to the water from all the smoke that's just getting caught up in there all day. Oh.
0: Do you know what? One of the things that really grossed me out was years ago I had a job doing window tinting, and I went to this old lady's house to tint the windows in her living room,
2: and she had like
0: a smoking chair with like a a full stand ashtray that was like right next to it, and then right on the other side of this chair and ashtray was a window, and so the first step in in cleaning windows and preparing them to tint is you spray them down and then you run like if it's a residential commercial window, you'd run like a six inch razor blade over it to remove any hard particulate that might be stuck to the glass. Yeah. (laughs) And like while doing that, the, the, and so you'd watch water just beat up and roll off, you know, that leading edge of the razor blade and just run down to the bottom of the window. It was running down like dark yellow. Ugh. And so then in the course of doing this window, it got all over my fingers. And so I yeah. have blue shop towels that I'd just constantly be drying my hands off with. And my hands would be like fuzzy afterwards because they were sticky from all that smoke residue, those yep. chemicals that bonded to the glass. It was so horrific. Ugh. Well,
1: that was actually one of the things that, that led me to quitting was probably about six months ago. I was looking in like, and like I have a, a regular cab truck, so there's no back seat or anything. And I was I was realized that like I was having a really hard time seeing through my mirror, so I decided to clean the window. And I figured I'd you know stuff on like that the outside of the window, mm-hmm. it was all just smoke residue. Yeah. And when I was looking at like the rag when I was done cleaning it, I'm like, this is what I'm putting into my lungs. Yeah. Like this is not. Not
0: okay. <laughs> That's coating your esophagus. It's right. coating your cilia. <laughs> Hell, your cilia are dead. Right? <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's so gross. Right? It's yeah. I smoked for years, and and I I had quit in 2008 when my wife was pregnant with our first kid, and then I started up again a few years ago a tree fell on our house and so i was super stressed out during that period and my wife she would she quit for when she was pregnant with our kids yeah and then when she started working again when the boys got old enough and she started working again then she she started smoking again yep and so when that tree fell on the house i was like all right give me a cigarette and then it got to a thing where i would just bum one from her occasionally and then before i knew it i was buying packs again yep and it it was it was i i ended up smoking for i think like a year or so and then kicked it that's good man oh Oh. god it was tough i i've never tried vaping though it's awesome um so when you buy the
1: the actual oil that you put in there to vape they call it juice and there's more flavors than you could shake a stick at like uh the one that i normally go with it's called brain freeze and it's strawberry kiwi pomegranate oh that's cool it's it's a nice and it's also a menthol one so you get a little bit of a cooling flavor to it as well um I, that's like my my go to. I've, I've got another one that's like a, a pink lemonade. I've got another one that's uh, it's like a blueberry grape one. Like, I like the the sweet fruity flavors. And but at the same hand, if you were someone who was looking to quit, you can just get tobacco flavored. I don't know why you would because it tastes gross. But when you could you know essentially be smoking Kool Aid like, <laughs> some people go, oh, I like the taste I'm like, really. <laughs> you enjoy that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like now, the the setup that I have now, it's by a company called Smock. and I have a, an AL eighty five. That's what my my mod is called, and it goes up to eighty five watts. It just runs off of one battery, and so you have these different, like the the thing that you put the the oil in is called a tank, and within the tank you have coils and the coils have some sort of cotton wrapped around them that act as a wick, and they suck up the, the oil. And then there's going to be some sort of trigger, whether it's just a button or whatever, that you press and you hold. And that sends the current through those coils, which heats up the oil, and then you in- inhale that, that vapor that it creates. Hmm. And then you can get the, the different oils with different um, nicotine levels. So I'm either like a three milligram or a six milligram nicotine, which is down from where I would have been smoking traditional cigarettes. Because at at that point I was like a pack a day smoker. So that would be I if I was to continue at that level, I'd probably be like a twelve milligram level. Um, but I had no issue just dropping down to a, a lower milligram, and it's been awesome because if I'm somewhere where I can't like really go out and vape for a few minutes, I'll just take a hit or two, and it. I don't know how much of it is me getting the nicotine and how much of it is like a psychological thing, but it definitely takes away the craving.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Do you have a a plan to like keep stepping down the nicotine until at some point you're just hitting, you know, juice without any nicotine in it at all?
1: Yeah, that's the game plan. That's the, the end course. I figure I have like a couple bottles of this stuff left at most of it's like the six milligram level. So when I start running low on this stuff, I'll, I'll knock it down a level and then I'll stay with the three milligram for a bit and then knock that down to the zero. That's
0: awesome, man. Yeah, thank you. I've been kind of following your, your quitting smoking journey on Facebook <laughs> and yeah, I'm proud of you, man. That's great. Oh, I appreciate it, man. It's been
1: because I've been I've been a smoker for, I'd say, about 10 years now. And I've been a pack a day smoker, I'd say, for like five
0: it and it's, up, it's man.
1: I was thinking about it like, because you figure you're spending close to $10 a day on cigarettes. Like, that's a lot of money. That's, you know, over $300 a month, easy. Like, that's a car payment. Yeah. <laughs> or if it was Jordan, that's like half a payment for a hot toy. Like,
2: <laughs> you know? <laughs>
0: yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I had and no uh, idea statues would ever get that expensive. <laughs> oh,
1: it's insanity, man. Like, the most I've ever spent on, like, a, a regular collectible, I think, was, like, right around 100 bucks, And that was on a really nice uh, Megazord, like, when they did the Legacy Collection. Oh, nice. Which were die-cast, and they were really cool. I ended up selling that one. I got rid of a lot of my collection, but...
0: <laughs> yeah. i th- I think the only collectibles, like, statue-type thing I've ever bought... Was uh, a, a, what is it, probably like a six or seven inch buddy Christ. Nice. (laughs) From the movie Dogma. (laughs) Right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) When, uh, I think it was last month, I went down to New York City and I got to see, you know, Rebecca and Janine and Cindy.
0: Yeah.
1: And Gus. And uh, when we were at one of the comic shops, they had this gorgeous statue of Wonder Woman in her full armor. And she's got her sword. And she's riding this, like, huge, you know, Percheron horse, which is a big draft horse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was just, like, the most badass statue I've ever seen. And it, it wasn't that bad considering. I think it was, like, 350 bucks. Yeah. But it was, like, this was a piece. Like, it made a statement. <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen that one. I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, nah, I got... I like collecting stuff for a while. I got really into importing the like the Japanese version of the Power Ranger toys because they're so much better over there. But it was, it was an expensive thing, and then they they take up so much room. Like, and I've been working on downsizing a lot of my stuff, so that collection had to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, having less stuff is
0: never a bad thing.
1: No, it's it's really nice because like, at one point I had almost every. Ninja Turtle figure in the current line and then I still had a bunch of Power Ranger toys and I realized like as cool as it is to have this stuff I don't get to enjoy them as much as if I, if I had fewer if that makes sense mm-hmm. and so I really said okay what do I want to focus on and like I got rid of most of my Power Ranger toys except for the morpher like the, the legacy diecast morpher and I know, like, they announced at Comic-Con that they're, they're bringing another Legacy Morpher for, for, like, the next season. And I'm super excited for that. I'm going to buy that. But I'm not going to spend all the money and get the Megazords and the weapons and stuff again. You know, and then that gives me more time to focus on, you know, like, my retro gaming collection. Like, I want to have, you know, physical copies of certain games. And I was able to do that. Like, I have the, the three PlayStation Final Fantasies now. And they look awesome going through the original hardware to the CRT. And that's how I want to enjoy those. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> and same thing with my records. I have more room for more records because I don't have, you know, a dozen Megazords hanging out.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got one bookshelf in my room because kind of the biggest thing that I really collect would be like paperback trades. Oh, yeah. I really prefer to, to read those in print rather than getting them on digital. I'm right there with you. <laughs> and yeah, my my bookshelf's getting really full, especially with image books, man. I've, I'm almost taking up a full shelf just with image trades. Oh, man. Have you read Paper Girls yet? Yes. Yes. I've oh, got, so uh, good. Let's see. What am I... Okay, yeah, I've just read the first two volumes so far. So the third one's going to be coming out pretty soon, I believe. Right. I know
1: it's up for pre-order on Amazon.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> been a crazy series. It's insane. Like Toward the end of the first one, I think you see the... I think it might've been the end of the first or second issue. You see that the guys have like the Apple logo on them. Yeah. And it was like, what am I reading?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I read the first volume and then I went a really long time before I read the second volume. So before I read the second one, I read the first one over and then just immediately started the second one. And yeah, man, what a crazy (laughs) concept of a series. Oh, It's been so great. (laughs) And even that far into it, you're still not, positive what the hell's going on (laughs) (laughs) it's like there's this crazy time traveling going on it's like uh, like other dimensions and i don't know it's crazy (laughs) sanity or is it or is it not other dimensions and it's purely time travel it's like i we don't know (laughs) (laughs) that's brian cave Vaughn too isn't
1: it yeah it is
0: god damn that guy's a good writer
1: see i love that kind of stuff like any kind of like sci-fi type thing like uh there's a new X-Files comic out called X-Files Origins. And that's a really neat comic because it's one where you read half the comic one way and then you flip it to the back cover and you, then you read it the other way. Oh. And one half is told from Mulder's point of view and the other half is from Scully's. Well, that's kind of a cool concept. Yeah. And they're both like teenage kids at this point. It's, it's really neat. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's something different, and I mean, I love the X Files, so right down my alley. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. See, like it, like the alien stuff. Oh, big time. <laughs> <laughs> Anything like that, X Files, and I still think that the Twilight Zone's like the best show in the history of TV. Like, I'll, I'll still go to bat for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, I just noticed what time it is. You probably gotta get going pretty soon.
1: Yeah, it is getting pretty late on my end.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can wrap it up if you
1: want, bud. Yeah, this sounds good to me, man. I think this has been a good two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, it's been great talking to you, too. We got to do this again. Oh, likewise. Time just flew by tonight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it goes fast, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) Well, uh, do you want to uh, uh, tell folks about your podcast again? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So if anyone's interested in following the adventures of the Woodward Homestead Adventuring Company or WAC, you can find us out on Podbean. Uh, I'll send you a, a link, Joe, and if you want, you could share it. That would be great. Absolutely. Awesome. I, I don't think we're on iTunes yet, uh, but we are on Podbean, so you can either just stream it from the site or you can download the app. I believe episode two will be up on Thursday, and Thursdays are when we record, so they're usually up like the next week. Excellent.
0: All right. And if you want to, uh, if you want to learn any more about the show, you can check out my Facebook page. I've been kind of lazy about it lately, but <laughs> I'll try and post some more links from stuff we talk about on there. And, uh, if you want to, if you want to email the show, it is startcastpod pod at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the tubby ninja. And, um, yeah, if you, you know, if you want, you can go in and give us an iTunes rating. Um, about it i always feel like i'm forgetting something when i do these outros Ugh, i know the feeling <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so um but yeah man thanks a lot for for taking the time out and and i know we had some scheduling issues and what but um, glad it finally came together
1: likewise dude I'm, I'm sure we'll have to do this again sometime because this was a whole lot of fun <laughs> oh absolutely we gotta get into talking about comics more too Oh, man, that could be a whole show on its own. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll have All to right. take over uh, Jared Gafford's podcast for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. we would have to do like a big Alex and Ada special.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> That's like a three-hour special right there.
0: <laughs> it could be. <laughs> and that means we'd only spend an hour on each volume. It's tr- true. <laughs> All right, well, uh, everybody, thank you very much for listening and until next time, this has been Startcast